You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we begin this week's episode, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live, and record and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome back to PS Meet Me at Stage Door. Today we are talking to an exciting international guest, but before we get into that, Tori, take it away with the bulletin. Since our latest episode on Dear Evan Hansen, it has officially been announced that Dear Evan Hansen is getting a movie adaptation and it is being produced by Mark Platt. The leading cast has officially been confirmed and will include Nick Dodani as Jared, Colton Ryan as Connor, Amanda Steinberg as Alana, Amy Adams as Cynthia and Danny Pino as Larry, who will now be stepfather to the Murphy children. And to top it off, we will also see Julianne Moore as Heidi, Damaris Copes, who will play Oliver, Zoe's friend, Booksmart's Caitlin Dever as Zoe, and Ben Platt will reprise his Tony award-winning role as Evan Hansen. Overall, this is an absolutely stellar cast, and we cannot wait to find out more about this movie adaptation. In exciting news for the West End, the London Palladium will welcome back its first audiences since closures in March 2020. And in line with current government guidance, this event will be hosted under social distancing with venue-wide safety mitigations, including the wearing of face coverings. Lambert Jackson Productions announced live performances of Jason Robert Brown's Songs for a New World at the London Palladium on the 11th of October for two performances only in a triumphant return for music theatre to the West End. We have our fingers crossed that this is just the beginning for theatres to safely and thoughtfully open back up to live audiences. And finally, this week, myself and Libby went to see our first live theatre production in Sydney since March of this year. The Credo Canvas at the El Rocco in Potts Point is one of the only live shows currently running in Australia and has a COVID safe plan in action. Not only was it amazing to see live theatre again, but we loved the show itself and its message, which really hits home for young artists and actors. If you're missing live theatre and in Sydney at the moment, we definitely recommend heading to El Rocco and seeing this show. For more information, head over to their Instagram at the underscore credo underscore canvas. That's all for today. Back over to you, Libby. 
Today, we have our first international guest on the podcast, Chris Fung, who has recently performed on the West End. Originally from Australia, Chris studied at the Queensland Conservatorium. He then appeared in Opera Australia's The King and I and also understudied The King. He moved to London to pursue his career further in 2018, where he was part of the 2019 production of Evita at Regent's Park, which was nominated for two Olivia Awards. Most recently, Chris appeared in Cyrano de Bergerac, starring James McAvoy at The Playhouse, which has been nominated for five Olivier Awards in 2020 and is planned to transfer to New York at the BAM in November of this year. Please welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, what's going on, guys? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Oh, my pleasure. But I guess a, a great... A great introduction would be keeping it short and sweet. How did you get into music theatre in the first place? It's not a. I don't think. I don't think you get into musical theatre from one beautiful golden golden moment of sunlight streaming on your face and ha ha, <laughs> bolt of lightning come out. For, for me, it well certainly wasn't like that for me. Uh, I guess it would start with um, just one performance. I like. I was a kid. I wanted attention. I wanted attention and people told they they patted me on the head and they they said oh, what a good boy I was when I sang and so I wanted to do that more and it started with um with <laughs> my music high school teacher I would say a guy called Scott Copeman who um was was fantastic fantastic and I, I was I was this little shy teen a uh, teenager and I didn't really know what singing was about really um, but he got me up in the school choir uh, to perform at an assembly. I still remember that performance. It was Wade in the Water. I got to sing a solo for Wade. And I was so ah. so nervous the entire time that I had my eyes closed and I was shaking like a leaf. And afterwards, my friends came up and said, Hey, you sound great! And I said, D- uh, do, do I really? Yes, I do sound great. I'm great. I'm awesome! And... Uh, uh, that, <laughs> that's that where feeling. we all start we're all like yes I'm amazing at this you get so much energy as a kid and you're like I'm great at this I need to pursue it <laughs> it's true we all have deep-seated emotional needs maybe if I was loved better as a child I, that I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be in the career that I'm in now. <laughs> that's a little bit dark I, I, I just I, I was loved as a child I promise <laughs> obviously you went on then to go to the con so and I know you studied a little bit before that as well didn't you yeah, um, I did. So I went to a pretty academic high school in Sydney called James Roos Agricultural High, the kind of place where everyone does STEM, does STEM subjects, does science, and uh, like a vast majority of the graduates go into being doctors and lawyers, kind of. And and everyone studies a lot, and no one really really cares that much about the about music, about the arts, which is so funny, right? How do you? T- how do you tell a young small child go play the violin because it'll look good on your resume and do this for 15 years and then when it comes time but you don't ever be a musician don't be a musician you have to give it up and spend time on actual things instead <laughs> uh, on I, real that, things. that seems very uh counterproductive because if you introduce it to someone like when i was first introduced to singing and i was like this is the thing i can learn like, this is a thing people do as a job. I was like, mm. done. 
I'm done. Like, there's no way Sold. that it's been tried. It's been tried to, but to put me on a different path. And I was like, no, nope, sorry, you introduced me to this. This is this is who I am now. I know your dad, so he wouldn't have he wouldn't have batted an eyelid to that. He'd be like, yeah, oh, you do your no, thing. No. You're all in. <laughs> you do you. Yep. You do you. You do he you. He would have probably you pushed you. you out the door. Start singing now. Do your singing yeah. exercises now. <laughs> yeah. Why are you not doing them? <laughs> so I didn't, I, I didn't answer your question again. I, I did a bit of study. Um, that was my, the, the Queensland Con, I kept auditioning for uh, music theatre school because uh, there are only about six to, they were, at the time that I was auditioning, maybe six or seven places around the country that had university level musical theatre training. And I had done mm. a Bachelor of Arts before then, uh, a three-year Bachelor of Arts and a Diploma of uh, Music Performance. Uh, so it was my third degree and I got in as an, as an older kid. I was about 22 when I got into the con and everyone else was 17 and it might not feel like that large a gap because it really isn't. It's just five years, but mentally it's a very, very different place to be. Um, and I didn't come, as you mentioned earlier, I didn't come from a background that, um, that had a lot of value in the art. So, uh, um, no one around me was doing the same stuff that I was doing. I was, is singing a job? Is musical theater a job? How much does your body matter? Um, all of these questions and, and how do you, how do you, I, I didn't have any frame of reference to add to them. So I had a lot of growing pains figuring that kind of stuff out. What hmm. does a musical theater candidate look like? What, what is the difference between different schools? What does this mean? What does this mean? Right? Like, what does it mean to be on a stage? Do I, what jobs yeah. do I want? And a lot of those questions I'm still trying to answer for myself now. Like, what, what do I want out? What do I want out of musical theater? What do I want out of theatre in general? What roles can I perform? Uh, I, I got through two years of the three-year program, and at the, at the end of the second one, that's when I got into The King and I, um, and I went and did The King and I for a yeah. year, and then I went back and, and finished my third year. And um, uh, Paul Sabi, the director of my course, was so lovely. He let me finish my course by, uh, via correspondence for the third year, and he gave me credit for my, for my tour, my, my performance tour, as part of the degree, which was... Huh. Um, from what from what wow. I understand, it's standard practice in London as well as Broadway for people who are lucky enough to get a job before they graduate. Um, and it's super. Uh, I'm just super grateful. It was the con is I think a, like I haven't gone to other places to to to, um, to compare it, but I, like the training yeah. there was fantastic. It was phenomenal. Yeah, and and look from everything you've said, it definitely sounds like. Um, obviously, look, it's not saying that you know only the good people come out of this school, but so many good people have which really is a testament to a school that I feel like we don't necessarily hear as much about or as often like I always hear about NIDA and VCA and WAPA and I really didn't know much about the Queensland Con until um we kind of had that chat about it and I think like you look at the people that have come out of that school like yourself and um Vidya McCann and Georgina Hobson and it's like it's it's pulling out good people and not just chorus people like leading men and women and people that are also leading the way in music directing and things for Australia which it's is something fantastic. that I think is so important right now it feels like the women alumni are doing a lot better <laughs> than, the, than the men for some reason. There's, there's Shubshri Kanda who was No, the, uh, you're doing was, amazingly. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, I suppose. Uh, do, do you know about Shubshri? Shub, Shub I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She was um, cast as Princess oh. Jasmine in Australia's tour of um, Aladdin. Oh. Um, oh. 
Oh, yeah, vaguely. Yeah, I vaguely do. Courtney Monsma, who was also one of the queens in Six alongside Vidya, but um, she's also mm-hmm. cast as Anna yes. in Frozen, in the Australian premiere of Frozen. Uh, and the, the list just keeps going. You're absolutely right. I, I, I wouldn't like. The, I think the reason that the Queensland Con is um, is so little known is because it's new. In, uh, they only mm-hmm. started. They they opened their doors in 2011, and I was their second intake in 2012. So their graduates are only really now, for the past five or six years, starting to get out there. Mm-hmm. And and schools get their reputation from their alumni. And um, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like the quality of the training matters as well. But all of these training schools are just nexuses. They're just meeting places for people to, to um, for mm. people to, to meet up. And really, uh, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that if you you can go to school and train, you can not go to school and train. The main thing is that the quality of the people around you. So yeah. um, what are you going to do when? Because not everybody, not everybody who goes to music theatre school makes it. Not every, like a vast majority of us won't. No. Um, and that's actually that's certainly something that everybody who's considering in a career in this industry needs to consider. That uh, at most five percent of you will be working after five years. But it, it, you're absolutely right. Exactly. It feels like the, the, the Queensland Con is overrepresented that way. There are so many fantastic friends. <laughs> and they're all women. Yeah. They're all women. Exactly. It's, it's all, and I guess it's, it's all about what you do after the yeah. fact as well. Yeah. And for yourself, you recently moved to London. What inspired that move for you? Um, I, this isn't going to sound great, but I just didn't see a lot of opportunity for me in Australia. Um, I had, I, I knew that I, I don't know how I got it. I think, I think it's this decision that you make over time that you want to go all in on music theater as your life. Cause you never, you, have, you just have to dip your toe in. Uh, I've always said that if I, if there are words that I can say to someone else to discourage them from musical theater, then they don't want it bad enough. You have to want it beyond reason because it is beyond reason. And one of the best starts you could possibly hope for from, from mm-hmm. musical theater career, I reckon. Um, I went to school and I got a job before I finished school. Who does that? It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's not mm. something that you see. At least, um, obviously, I don't know what it's like. I've not experienced it overseas. It's not something that I feel. I feel like it's not something you see happen very often here. Like, you you know, you will do some community theatre maybe if you have time or maybe even some pro-am, although we don't have a lot of pro-am theatre in Australia. It's not something you see to... Packerman Productions? Yeah, like, we have, like, we've got, you've got, like, a few of the real, like, the ones that we know. But I feel like when you, you know, <laughs> compare it in the grand scheme of things, we are a small country. Exactly. But I don't feel like you hear it often where someone is doing their degree and they get a professional Opera Australia level job before they've even graduated. It was luck. I'd actually, a lot of people, a lot of other performer friends tell me off when I say that a vast majority of my success is luck-based, but I really do believe it. It's it's luck that I was able to grow at such a level that I was ready enough that I met the minimum standard for professional um, performance after only two years of a three-year course. It's luck. It's luck that I yeah. that I came mm. into contact with um, with teachers of a high enough caliber who were able to shape me. It was luck that I was surrounded by so many fantastic people. Something like seventeen out of 20, uh, out of like out of thirty of our of my cohort have had a, a professional musical theater job. That's ridiculous. That's that's like super ridiculous. Yeah. We had like three people from my year in Mormon when it was touring around. Billy Boucher is killing it up there. All we had uh, we had Lachlan Neat who uh, who also did the thing where in in the start of the third year he went and joined once. There's a photo of you, uh, Tori. You've got um you're outside stage door at Princess uh, looking for someone at um uh, in once. Oh, I. I- 
Uh, yeah, I, I saw Tom, who played Guy in right. once. I yeah. saw him walk past and freaked my freaked my guts out. You would have also seen um, <laughs> Lachlan Neat, who was in my year, um, in once. He, he, he got to do that job before he graduated. Uh, and he's a multi-instrumentalist who plays everything. Everything, he just plays everything. And he's a phenom. And he's a really good friend of Dominic Woodhead as well. And now he's the front man and drum player and vocalist for a Viking death metal rock band called Valhallor. And they travel all around the world and they've dominated this little niche and it's really cool. And it's lucky, it's lucky that all of these people happen to be around to help inspire me and help me grow. And, um, but I, I didn't like- I guess it, everything falls into place for a reason. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and I guess moving to London was part of that reason for you. Like that was just part of, it was luck and it was, you know, as well as a a hard decision to go, look, Australia isn't giving me what I need and it's time to, you know, take that leap and to move overseas. And what was that transition like moving to London? It's a big step. Did you come across, like, how did you navigate the London theatre scene when you arrived? Uh, how did I how did I get started? Well, first of all, I should say that I didn't answer your previous question at all. <laughs> you asked me <laughs> you asked me um uh, you asked me why I left Australia. I just didn't see enough opportunity. Um, but okay, so l- let's move on to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Moving to London, um, I've had a really I've been lucky enough to have a lot of momentum in the first couple of years. Uh, in my second week in arriving. I had uh, from Australia. I applied. I applied for the Hamilton Open auditions, and oh. it just so happened that um, I got an. Aud- they, they approved me for an audition um, when I arrived in my second week, and I was completely unprepared for it. But I still had a crack, and I had a bit of a sing, and I got a callback for it the next week, um, and I used that alongside uh, a lot. There are, there's this thing called The Other Palace where you get to sing. Uh, the Other Palace is owned by Andrew Lloyd Webber and he does these things where once a month he brings in established performers and then they workshop people and then you can invite agents and prospective people to hear you sing. And it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It's incredible. You pay five pounds. What an opportunity. Super it's, cool. It's an insane opportunity to think. I mean, look, there's a good oppo- there's a good chance it happens in Australia and we just don't really know about it. I just can't see that happening here, being like, great, here are these industry professionals, pay five pounds, do your workshop, have people come watch you do it. It's fantastic. It does happen sometimes in Australia. I remember um, Kelly Dickerson, who actually is quite sick at the moment and is currently going through some um, some difficulties. So, uh, you know, some thought. I've been thinking about Kelly Dickerson a lot because she's been, she's extraordinarily kind. But Kelly Dickerson, who's one of Australia's main uh, musical directors for a long, long time, long, long time, um, I remember that she had a great friend who was running an amateur musical society in Chatswood. And as a fundraiser, you could pay twenty pounds and be workshopped by herself and another um, really quite prominent musical director guy. Guy Simpson. So Guy Simpson is also a, quite a. I mean, the pool of musical uh, musical directors in Australia is quite small, and Guy Simpson and and Kelly Dickerson are certainly up there. And we did this thing where you pay, you know, ten pa- ten dollars or twenty dollars, and you got to work with these two awesome people. So it happens occasionally in Australia, but you, um, I don't know how. I'm not answering your question. I should answer your question. Answer the question. <laughs> All right. So let's start the answer. 
it again, right? So I arrive in London and I'm lucky. Um, I've got I'm lucky again because I've got five or six people from the con ahead of me. So I get to who are already in London and they're trying to do what I'm trying to do, which is get get an agent. And I get to talk to them and they tell me, mate, Chris, getting an agent is tough. We're sending out a hundred hundreds of emails, but you don't get anywhere and it's super hard. But you need a showreel, you need a headshot, you need to get your stuff in order. And then you just send stuff out and you see, you know, what 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 happens. So I wrote off to agents and I said, listen, I'm in callbacks for Hamilton and I've got this masterclass thing if you'd like to hear me sing and here's my showreel and materials. I'd be keen to hear back from you. Uh, I'm looking for representation to negotiate a potential contract. Technically true, I suppose, because it is it is a potential contract. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to sell yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I sent him about 20 emails in that first week, and I got five meetings back. Um, and they all, um, I went to all these meetings, and all of them offered me representation on the spot, um, except for one lady. Uh, and, uh, uh, the lady that I went with was the only agent who took the time out to come and watch me sing and I was blown away by her by her enthusiasm and her charisma something that I'd never I, I'd never really experienced in Australia that, that it's quite rare for for Australian agents I felt to get that excited yeah. to, to, to want to make a relationship with, with me at least I'd never experienced that the rest is the rest is history I started auditioning right there and then but you know luck again to meet people to um, to be in a state where agents were recognizing yeah. that um, casting appetites were changing and they needed more BAME, Black Asian Minority Ethnic Performance. And that I ha- and luck again, that I happened to be at a certain standard. That was a, one of the big questions that I had for myself leaving Australia. Am I good yeah. enough? What is the standard like? Can I compete? Am I wasting yeah. my time? I came over um, fully, fully aware that that oh, London yes. is a bigger market yes. times by times you know ten for, for 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 the size of Australia. There's every chance that I'm not going to work for five years, and am I okay with that? And that part of that is the reason why I made sure to qualify as a teacher um, before I arrived. So I'm also a qualified high school music and drama teacher. So and, and I knew that if worst comes to worst. I will work uh, supply teaching as well as so that mm-hmm. I can fund chasing yeah. for chasing auditions, so I can take time off and do this. A part of your journey was getting getting the opportunity to perform um, not only as part of the um, you know ensemble for the King and I, but you were also the understudy for the King, and you went on for three solid weeks in Melbourne. What was that? experience like because obviously you know understudies do you know depending on the show and depending on the season can frequently or infrequently go on but I've I feel like it can be rare that you do go on for such a block period of time like I know people do do it but you went on for three weeks straight what was that like no one anti- no one anticipated it no one does especially in this day and age of um of star billing and i'm super young <laughs> i spent the whole time with my <laughs> eyes super wide going what the fuck <laughs> what am i doing what the hell what why who like how to get in this position what is going on no. <laughs> well <laughs> i even though you have these feelings, right? You you can't let yourself yeah. succumb to them because you've got a job to do. You have a job to do. You don't have enough brain space to freak out. 
um, especially in something which is as technical yeah. as musical theater, there are thoughts that you got to have. And the, um, people talk about, I don't know if you know about this, or hello, listeners to PS Stage Talk, but they talk about musical theater jobs as a track, as if you have, mm-hmm. there, there are invisible like train tracks across the stage, and you as a performer, your job is to come out and you, you, you say a line, and then you walk back in, and, and it's choreographed. And your time for the two and a half hours or three hours in that theater yeah. is, is very, very precisely laid out. And as an understudy, um, something else uh, your listeners might not know, um, when so we there are, there aren't that many. There's not that much time in order to rehearse a show. You have four weeks mm-hmm. for straight theatre, sometimes six weeks for musical yeah. theatre because you have to learn dances, and that takes a lot of time too. You got six weeks, right? And you're pretty much working six days a week, and a, a lot of that time is used to rehearse the lead roles. And so, because they need to learn, they need to learn their job, and they're the priority. So, you as an understudy don't. Uh, you're, you're a lot of the reason why you're cast is: Are you able mm-hmm. to learn the track if we leave you alone? If we don't, uh, like, how well can you learn stuff on your own? How well can you pick stuff up? Um, and uh, and it's it's just part. It's just a part of the business. So, I, I hadn't had that much rehearsal time myself as the as as the understudy. You're there to help everyone else, let everyone else be great so that they don't question your performance enough mm-hmm. so that your scene partners can shine, yeah. so that the music and the book can shine, so that everyone else can do their job and the integrity of the work stands on its own. I remember being super nervous for my first night and uh, just beforehand, we'd had a couple of, I'd had a working session with uh, Neil Rutherford, my, my associate director, my resident director, as well as um, Lisa McCune, who was, who was my queen, my Anna. And we just finished it, and yeah. Neil said, listen, you've got about... Uh, he gave me, like, one billion notes. <laughs> we had, like, five million years of notes. And he said something really nice at the end of it, which was, your job today is just to get through the show. Just get through the show. Don't worry about knocking people's socks off. Don't worry about yeah. anything. Just get through the show as best as you can, and you'll find the shape of it. You'll find the size of it. It'll come with time. Don't... And, that, you know, as an understudy, I don't know I'm on for mm-hmm. three weeks. I, uh, this might be my only opportunity, Right. And I, so I got through that first show and people applauded, which was different from how I felt when we started, because on the, on the very first day when they announced, uh, when they announced that I'd be taking, I was surprised by it. They had a voice come over the intercom, right? And they, and, and the voice, the voice said for this evening, for this evening's performance, it was a matinee, I believe for this evening's performance, the role of the King will be played by Chris Fung. Groans! Ooh groans and boo and the terrible stuff um this and this isn't this is this isn't what you want to hear and one of the one of the more experienced no. cast members leaned down and said mate i've been an understudy before uh, ignore yeah. it just just let your work speak for itself you're going to be fine because you know what people do come people do come to see the the, the leading role and, and these are the these are expectations that they're going to have. And, you know, a lot of people will get caught up with the idea of the, the disrespect that you feel. I never felt that way. I was, uh, as, as Jason Scott mm-hmm. Lee said, there are too many other things for me to think about, to worry about stuff like that. I don't have time in my brain to yeah. feel, to worry about fear. I can think about it, but I, I can't worry yeah, about it. I yeah. can't dwell on it because I have to be on this mark and I have to connect in this way and I have to remember I'm a king. I, um, I was really lucky that I was able to understudy three different kings and I got to see three different beautiful professional mindsets towards their work my main king who i had for the uh the melbourne and the sydney seasons was uh sorry the brisbane and the sydney seasons was teddy tahu Rhodes, who comes from the opera world 
Um, my second king, the king that I that I replaced, was a gentleman named Jason Scott Lee. Um, he's a <laughs> practitioner of Jeet Kune Do, so it's a very karate mindset that he has. He says, if you panic, you're not going to get it. So the only way to handle it is to know that you're going to under you're going to get it, and to trust in your process, um, and to to not panic. Uh, he said it more eloquently than that. He just said that if you don't, if you if you panic, no. you're not going to understand it. Yeah, relax. You've got this. Now, um, we did know we obviously that was a such a amazing way to start off your career, but it has gone in some amazing directions. And most recently, you booked Cyrano de Bergerac. It's the it's the R. Right. Uh, you keep forgetting the R. Bergerac. Bergerac. <laughs> Although, I like your title too. Your title works. I'll, I'll actually have a chat to Jamie about that. I'll talk to Jamie Lloyd and say, hey, do you mind changing the name of the... Yeah, yeah. Can you, Jamie Lloyd, change it because Libby can't say yeah. it. <laughs> now, what was it like getting that call? Because obviously that show was one of the hottest tickets in the West End. So were you pretty ecstatic when you booked that show? It was completely nuts. Um, it's a straight play. Uh and it was my it was my West End debut, so uh, and it was f- phenomenal. James McAvoy was in the title role, and and the cast was f- ridiculous, ridiculous. Just so many incredible hearts and minds. And to, again, the opportunity to work with so. But Jamie Lloyd directed my um, my production of Evita, which was at the Regent's Park. So getting to work with him again is the greatest. That you you hear this trope a lot from musical theater performers, uh, well, from all performers that say that you learn. You learn far more on the job than at school, and I, I felt I felt that every single day at, at Cyrano de Bergerac. I had no idea. I had no idea that I'd be up for it. Um, generally, you stay in your lane. Normally, you if you're a music theater performer, you just do musical theater shows. If you're an actor, you do actor things. Yeah. So um, I I'd never thought that that doing a straight play was in the cards because again, I'm still figuring out that question of am I good enough? What the what am I doing? Like how good am I? What can I do? Yeah. But um, it was a, it was a relatively fast audition process, not just for me, but for the rest of the cast as well. Um, literally, Evita finishes on a Saturday. Right, we close on Saturday, and this is like late September. And I get a a call from my agent on Sunday saying, "Hey, um, we've just had an availability check for for you for this time frame right after over the next couple of months, um, and it's for a mystery project. We don't know anything about it." auditions on tuesday do you want to do it and of course i had planned a holiday over that time i booked oh. it everything was non-refundable oh, no. <laughs> yeah. i was gonna go i went on a uh, i had a trip booked with my best friend we we're gonna do a europe trip for a, like for like you know three weeks it was gonna be my first my first like time off for yeah. a while and you know but it's an availability check so i thought you know what it's not an audition who knows what well, let's just go for the auditions anyway so get the call on sunday for an audition on tuesday rock up on tuesday and I, we end up with like i don't know 10 pages of sides or so it feels at the time and there's jamie lloyd and the writer of this of this new play cyrano de bergerac which um it's cyrano is one of the most well-known plays in the modern canon uh, originally a french thing uh, a, a french play this has been our version has been adapted and it's now it feels very uh, hip hop and spoken word, and everybody speaks in 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 in, uh, in rhyming couplets. And it, it's got wow. it's got it's got a beatboxer. We got a beatboxer um, who who comes in and I out. I love it. It's nuts. It's fantastic. And we had no set. 
We had no set whatsoever, and our costumes were literally the clothes that we would wear at rehearsals, and everything is stripped back, and yet people are, are willing to listen to us use words for three hours straight. I, I never would have guessed it uh, in, in a million years. And to have so much to have um, so much momentum just at the start of my time, it was completely unexpected. Um, the, the writer for Cyrano de Bergerac, Martin Crimp, is phenomenal. What a man. What a genius. So softly spoken. And his whole family are really erudite as well. They, they really, they're, they're really curious people. And he spent time in, uh, he spent time figuring out this, uh, this feeling for the show. This, this spoken word rap feeling. Um, did a lot of great research. <laughs> we were all rapping. We were all pretty much rapping in our natural accents. And you had this world where yeah. it didn't matter. It was so diverse. Also, we um, it didn't matter. It almost didn't feel like race or or um, or ethnicity was germane to the plot in any way. James McAvoy was rapping in his Scottish in his uh, in his in his natural accent. Oh. We had we had East we had East Love London the there. We had a little. We had um, we had Australian Kirina Stamel or Stamel or is it Stamel Stamel? Kirina is a is a play school host in Australia. Um, a play school host who happens to have dwarfism, oh. and and I got the chance to work with her. Yes, I think I've seen her in play school. She took such good care of me. What a lovely lady! Holy cow! Aww. We had um, we didn't have any Americans. Um, uh, but we had all kinds of all kinds oh, of different wow, accents. That's, that's shocking. We didn't have any Americans. <laughs> that's exciting and so dis- diverse as well. The fact that you got to be a part of something really new and exciting and vibrant that really focused on the storytelling more so than anything else. It's it's all like and that's what I mean. That's ultimately what we all want to do is to tell the story the best it can possibly be told. So to strip it all back and just go back to the text is so powerful. If you're interested, uh, Australia in Australia, we'll be releasing the National Theatre Live sometime in the next year, I imagine, when cinemas reopen. You'll get to watch. Just like um, just like National Theatre Live has been broadcasting on YouTube, we did one of those things too. So you can go to the cinemas and, and watch our production. We were nominated for five Olivier Awards. So that's quite that's that's quite a number. That's a, it's that's, pretty, it's pretty know, cool. No small feat, you know, just the the five thing. Olivier Award nominations. It's fine. It's... It's just, again, lucky, right? Lucky to be surrounded by talented people. Well, everyone will have to come to the cinema to come and watch that because I'm very excited. We will definitely be hitting up the cinema to watch you in that show. Fantastic. <laughs> what would you say for you in your career so far? And Obviously, I know you're still early in your career. Like, you've done a lot, but it's still early. What do you think the biggest thing that you kind of have had to overcome so far? We're all freelancers. We only work job to job, right? So I'd say that it's how to be a human, how to be a person, how to, how to, juggle, mm-hmm. how to juggle like prioritizing money, um, but also how, how, how to be a person in audition rooms. How can, you, how can you not let your nerves overcome you? How can you trust in your technique? How can you think that it's okay to be rejected for the hundredth time um, in a row? Something that, that we all have to get accustomed to, this idea of rejection. But even more so, to, to, to think about your own realistic expectations, you, one of the hardest things that I've had to deal with is I don't have a lot of control over my career. I don't get to decide what shows are coming. I don't get to decide whether I get to, ha- to be called into rooms. Um, I, I don't get to decide how much my agent likes me or who I work with. There, there's very little control. Oh, yes. And I like control. Most people like control. But you've got to give that up. Oh, yes. 
You have to give that up, the illusion of control. And that's something that Chris Renshaw, my director from King and I said, and I, I didn't really understand what he what he meant until now. He he actually took me aside on, on our opening night in Brisbane and he said, uh, Chris, you just got to chill out. The, the opportunities will come if they come and forcing them to happen or trying to force them to happen isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to help you except it's going to make your journey a little bit more difficult. Uh, if you spend all of your time hankering after opportunity, you lose the sight of the beauty in front of you. You lose the, the imagination to, to, to collaborate and find and explore and, and live in this moment here. And you have to. And that's something that, that Jason Scott Lee was trying to tell me as well. You can't, mm-hmm. if you live so much and you're worried in the future idea, then you lose sight of the things that you do in the, in the, in the immediacy. Those are some words I think of wisdom that I think we all need to hear because we I think we try so hard to like force ourselves into like no this is my specific career path and it's gonna be this and and it's exactly that that there is you never know when what show is going to come around the corner and I then like you said before I think half of it is where preparation meets luck You've got to be prepared. You've got to be as mm-hmm. good as you can possibly be. But there is an element of luck. It's, and you don't know when that's going to come around, you know? Remember, when you go into an audition or any job mm-hmm. interview for that matter, you're also auditioning them. You're figuring out how they think. Do you want to work with them? Is it something... I mean, that walking away from a job if they offer it to you is kind of obscene to think about <laughs> in Australia and also in the West End, right? Like, you're going to take the job. But th- that mentality of, of, of going in and figuring out how can we make a partnership... The best rehearsal, the best audition room vibes, I think, are if you if you treat it like you're already in rehearsal. You're there to figure out how do you think and, and what's your capacity and what are you looking for and and how how can we work together. But we don't choose what opportunities come. Mm-hmm. We don't choose. We we have so little control. So how can you have self worth if you don't work for five years? That's a big question that a lot of musical theater people, as well as myself, struggle with consistently. Mm-hmm. If I don't work for five years in my chosen profession, does that mean I suck? Am I terrible? Am I an idiot? And you, the, I think the, the purest way of answering that question is just training, working with great people, doing good things. If you are passionate mm-hmm. about something, you, you never know where it's going to go. You, you can do musical theatre, but there are many different areas to that. And um, if you keep pushing and you keep trying things and you try new things as well, don't just stay in your lane and box yourself into something. You'd be surprised what opportunities open up. And, you know, um, I feel like we've been lucky enough to talk to some amazing people and get some amazing insights, just like yourself, about your career. Mm-hmm. And um, we yeah. thank you so much for coming on today and talking with us. We really appreciated having you and having your time. And I hope that everyone listening also gets to learn a little bit about you know, we've talked a little bit about the process of moving to London and, and um, getting to hear your experiences and, and seeing how how you have made it so far. Uh, it's my pleasure, and I feel lucky to have spoken with you. Thank you very much for your time. But before we go, as our listeners would know, we have a segment called Bedtime Stories about show mishaps, costume malfunctions, whatever, whatever it may be. Do you have a bedtime story for us, Mr. Chris? <laughs> <laughs> um, Does he ever? <laughs> well, uh, so um, I am in. Uh, uh, I'm in the King and I, and we're we're just at the start of my three week run. And uh, Lisa McCune ha- and, and Neil Rutherford, who they vote, they they don't have first names. They have to have a full <laughs> name. It's 
is Lisa McCune and Neil Rutherford. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe this is like an Asian, I have to respect everyone <laughs> kind of thing. But anyway, um, we have, so we have our performances at night, but during the day, um, they, they give me the opportunity to work with them. We have these working sessions where we talk through the play and we look at it technically and I get notes and I get to sort out problems. We get to sort out problems. I get to ask Lisa, hey Lisa, uh, well, do you think that the king and Anna are in love romantically? Is it a traditional love? What is the flavor of their love? Uh, do they? Do you think that at the end of it, that uh, that if the king were not to die and have this fantastic heart attack, spoiler alert, I hope I'm not spoiling something which is five million years old, can I be, are we romantically in love? Is that the feeling? Is that the vibe that bubbles underneath our dialogue? And Lisa says very emphatically, no. We are not romantically in love because it, it's a platonic, it's a respect thing. I respect your intellect, I respect your position, and you respect me. And after all, right, like you're a young man, we have like five million years between us. We don't. She's beautiful. Um, and I could never, I could she never. Gorgeous. She's gorgeous. She I says, just feel she's like got, I know she's where this is going. She's happily married and <laughs> I've got a girlfriend at the time. She says, she says, there is no way that I could, I don't find you, I don't find you, like, I wouldn't be romantically interested in you. You're just too young. And I could not, I could not, I could not be interested in you. So, I mean, you could, I mean, you, you feel the same way, right, Chris? You don't, you couldn't be romantically interested in me. And I said, yes, I absolutely could. And then I leave it there. Oh my I don't God. Say, I don't say anything else because I'm, I'm young and I'm kind of like, I don't know, like this is like, you, you ask me a question, I'm answering your question. And then my answer hangs in the air for like what feels like 1,000 years. And then Neil Rutherford says, <laughs> right, Chris, so on this point in this play, so- he gives me more notes and covers ah. the... But but you know what? I I laugh about it now. And actually, it was only a couple of weeks ago that I that I was skyping with Lisa just as a catch up, and we had a bit of a laugh over this as well. And I love how Neil Rutherford was just like, "I'm very uncomfortable with the energy we have created." Moving right along. That man is never uncomfortable. He's such a <laughs> such a chief. Yeah, but I'm, so I've been friend zoned by Lisa McCune, which is fantastic. <laughs> there you go. But we thank you so much for your time. It was absolutely amazing getting to chat with you. And we hope everyone listening really um, got to learn a little bit more. Because I definitely think Tori and I have from chatting to you. So thank you so much. Oh, what a pleasure. You sweeties. I've got diabetes. (laughs) It's so sweet now. Oh, my goodness. I shouldn't say that. So apologies to the diabetic community. Um, it's my pleasure, <laughs> my pleasure to, to chat with you as always. And I can't wait to see how much your podcast grows in the coming oh, years. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank and you. We really appreciate it. Thank you all so, so much for listening. Remember, stay happy, healthy and safe. We love you all so, so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and we hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts and to send us your bedtime stories and stage door Sunday pics. We also would love to hear your feedback on the episode and what you'd like to hear from us in the future. You can let us know on our Instagram at ps.stagedoorpod, via our email at ps.stagedoor.podcast at gmail.com or contact us via our website, psstagedoorpodcast.com. We love hearing from you and we will see you next time. Bye! Bye. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 